line. All right, so that'll do it here. I'm going to take the Lions by a score. We'll go 28-20-ish, maybe. We'll go with that. Let's go. All right, so for Alex Kramer, Scott Levine, Joe Wolf, and Nate Sorensen, I've been Austin Falco. Thank you for listening to the Daily Sports Report. Uh, we'll leave you, of course, as we do every time, with a good night and a go blue. KD soft. <laughs> Well, uh, good evening. Good evening. You're welcome uh, to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And Gray Matters is the weekly news and media talk show where we sort of jump around, play around, pick a bale of cotton on all sorts of issues and history and economics and indeed even a little culture. Uh, I did not see the Ken Burns uh, documentary last night. I did, actually. And, uh, you know, uh, it's fine, fine material. And uh, you get the sense this was just the first episode of, I think, a 17-part presentation. Um, You get the feeling from the one episode that they must have looked at hundreds of thousands of photos. Yeah. And uh, it's promises to be uh, very informative and sadly all too topical still all, all too topical of course we mentioned ken burns he's from ann arbor uh he grew up uh, in ann arbor went to pioneer high school and he is a generous sponsor of the ann arbor film festival did uh, the penny stamps lecture a couple years ago yeah and uh and of course he's done brilliant documentaries on baseball civil war jazz world war ii this promises to be really good uh, ironically, uh, I knew that the, the Vietnam thing was coming up. I guess it's a 10-part series uh, on PBS. And uh, Ken Burns, I, I, I think, in terms of uh, American documentary making, is second to none right now. He's in top form. He's at the top of his game. In any event, I just happened to... Uh, read Dereliction of Duty. Uh, this is the reissued book by H.R. McMaster. Uh, Dereliction of Duty, Lyndon Johnson, Robert McNamara, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and the Lies That Led to Vietnam. 
And this is an interesting book to read because H.R. McMaster is Donald Trump's national security advisor. Uh, this book was originally published in 1997. Fascinating in that if this had come out in 77, uh, McMaster probably would have been accused of revisionism, would have been labeled a liberal uh, traitor maybe even. Hmm. But by 97, it was quite clear that his perspective, and of course he's a military man, uh, was right on the money. And uh, he, of course, criticized uh, the way the war unfolded. This is not a thorough history of the Vietnam War. This is essentially uh, the early months through 64, 65, and some of the events that led up to the Vietnam War. But one of the... Uh, is the focus on the decision-making process behind the scenes in Washington or yeah. facts on the ground as they... Well, the decision-making regarding the politics of okay. it. Because it's, it's like it's... Uh, McNamara, McNamara was a uh, chief executive at Ford. He was a uh, target selector during World War II for, a, for uh, Curtis LeMay. In Japan, as an industry expert, as he an was industry probably expert, chosen right to look at aerial photography, like that Haroon Faraki uh, yeah. film that we saw at the film festival a couple of years ago. Yeah, so uh, McNamara, of course, was uh, empirical oriented, was very a big believer in the the so called Cold War uh, theories that were developed by the military industrial complex regarding uh, America's. Uh, insurmountability, shall we say. It's special role in the world. We hear a lot, you know, we, we hear a lot about that even still today. Uh, Donald Trump, of course, is going to turn that all on its head uh, tomorrow when he addresses the UN. I doubt that he's going to have too many people marching behind him on whatever he talks about. Uh, but Donald will mention later another march he did... Sort of drop a hint at. He's uh, he's the Pied Piper with uh, no crowd at the moment. But uh, I've always noted uh, in terms of talking about the Vietnam War that it's sometimes useful to actually call it the Indochina War. And, of course, this is how we got into Vietnam. I'll just read uh, one paragraph from H.R. Uh, McMaster's uh, dereliction of duty here. Before his death, Franklin Delano Roosevelt had made self-determination part of his vision for the post-war. Under the tutelage or trusteeship of the West, the Vietnamese and, quote, other brown people uh, of the East would gradually gain their independence. And that brown people of the East is a is in quotes. That would have been the terminology of the day. Yeah, and I'm not sure if that's a direct uh, characterization of words that FDR used. I kind of am skeptical of that, but that was a prevailing theory uh, within the uh, military-industrial complex. Let's remember that the Pentagon was built during World War II, and for good reason. You know, the Nazis uh, were uh, led by a certifiable madman 
And uh, well, and the British were kind of informed up front too from Roosevelt that uh, we're obviously going to help you uh, even before the U.S. had entered the war, but long-term scenario, you got to let those colonies go. Yeah, this was a, an ongoing dispute, ironically and interestingly, between India, particularly FDR and Churchill. And at one point, uh, Churchill, according to eyewitnesses, actually got on his knees. <laughs> That would have been an amusing scene to plead with FDR. Well, we have to have India. We have to have India. Uh, imperialism, of course, is a, is a long um, tradition of Western uh, civilization, unfortunately. And it's interesting, by the way, in, in seeing some of these hurricanes that have hit the Caribbean, uh, the response by the British Navy, the French Navy, mm-hmm. And some of the problems with rescuing people on some of these islands where literally 95% of everything has been destroyed. Uh, vegetation is, is uh, virtually gone on some of those yeah, small items. entirely stripped. And by the way, that, there's another one on the way. <laughs> so why Donald Trump is running around Florida praising uh, his performance is strange. Anyway, after World War II... Roosevelt's successor, Harry S. Truman, rejected trusteeship in favor of conciliating France and Europe. Despite Ho's, and that's Ho Chi Minh, despite Ho's attempts to emphasize his nationalistic aims over his communists' uh, predilections, the United States watched passively as France moved to reclaim Indochina. First in the south, then in the north. In mid-December 1946, increasing tension between the French and Vietnamese nationalists gave way to direct military conflict, with the Viet Minh leading the effort against the French. The French, the Viet Minh, of course, became the called the Viet Cong by the United States. And I don't know if Episode One focused on this. Uh, role of Truman and the role of the national security uh, national security article uh, 68 that talks about America's um, Cold War role, but uh, it should, and maybe he'll go back to that. Well, I think yeah, the you can tell just you know guess really at what the framework is going to be of such a lengthy piece after one episode. Um, I was impressed with the way that they were starting at the very beginning of the history with the French sure. and, and all of that and uh, referring to things that that happened later and then intermittently throughout dropping in little spoken pieces from uh, vets, you know, sure. uh, recalling uh, what they'd seen, servicemen and so forth, um, even from, you know, much later in the war, um, just to sort of keep it all swirling around uh, in the blender of your mind. Which is another important thing to realize about the Vietnam War is, you know, my family sat down to eat last night, discovered that was on the television. I said to my daughter, hey, Nora, come on and have a 1960s experience. You're going to eat dinner and watch the Vietnam War on TV because that's what you did if you were a kid back in the 60s. Yeah, It was on TV every day. It was in the background of everyday life, even though it didn't get talked about a lot. 
it was always sort of hanging around in the air. And, of course, early on, the vast majority of Americans supported the, the quote, Vietnam War. Uh, early polls from the 1965, essentially when the uh, actual ground troop escalation began, uh, showed that uh, only about 19% of Americans opposed the Vietnam War. Interestingly, by the way, the University of Michigan held the first teach-in uh, in March of 65, when, the, when literally the ground war was, the escalation was just starting. Gulf of Tonkin, of course, was in 64. We know that that uh, now, from historical evidence, was largely fraudulently produced to the public, and some of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and McNamara pretty much lied or were lied to. There's still some debate about that. But clearly, uh, McNamara's uh, early role in the uh, in selecting bombing targets and whatnot, with Lyndon Johnson handing off uh, sort of leadership of the war while he continued to mislead the public. Lyndon Johnson's main interest, by the way, in 65 was the Great Society, and he wanted that money funded. So War even, on poverty. War on poverty, uh, the Voting Rights Act, variety of things, uh, Medicare... Uh, came out of, uh, excuse me, Medicaid came out of the uh, Great Society. So uh, Lyndon Johnson on the domestic front, because he was a sort of an ardent New Dealer, uh, he first came into Congress uh, during the Great Depression. And FDR saw in Lyndon Johnson a future leader. And indeed, he was the majority leader for a good chunk of the 1950s. Um, so anyway... This is a really interesting book just to gain some perspective on H.R. McMaster and what he learned from uh, military college, shall we say. He, I believe, even got a Ph.D. at one point, and this is considered one of the better books on the, on the, uh, on the Vietnam War. What I find remarkable about this book, and it's like I say, it's just been reissued, uh, because of his uh, celebrity status, he replaced Michael Flynn, who lasted 28 days or something, not even 20, 24 days, National Security Advisor. He's balled up with this Russian investigation and whatnot. What I find troubling about this are the continuing uh, uh, headlines about our escalation in, in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And the notion that we are somehow going back in. I heard uh, Ken Burns interviewed briefly uh, last week, uh, basically advertising the upcoming documentary. And he used a good distinction. He said, we didn't win or lose in Vietnam. We failed. <laughs> and we failed the Vietnamese people, our society, the troops. And on and on and on. Of course, it eventually divided uh, our society. But the utter ignorance of and arrogance of the United States in believing that they could impose their will on the Vietnamese people, uh, I think, is always striking. And I think that it's fantastic that Ken Burns is, is using the experiences of ordinary soldiers mm -hmm. and whatnot. This will obviously be part of it about what really happened, because I think a lot of Americans 
have sort of tuned it out in some ways, and I don't know that we've learned the lessons. Let's remember that we went into Iraq based on lies, disinformation, uh, leadership in the Bush administration that misled both uh, the Congress and the public, and that there was a lot of this red-baiting going on, that if you somehow opposed the war, you weren't American. (laughs) Well, the opponents of the war in Vietnam were proven correct eventually, and the opponents of the Bush administration uh, regarding Iraq and Afghanistan have been proven correct. And it's very troubling that Donald Trump, who invented this, uh, re- reincorporated the phrase America first, and I don't know whether he's going to mention that tomorrow at the UN, but don't be surprised. Because <laughs> we, we heard late reports today that the United States is not going to reverse itself on the voluntary global warming. So uh, we highly recommend Ken Burns's. 10-part documentary. It promises to be entertaining, enlightening, and pertinent to our current events. And I'm sure you probably have more to more to say. Well, about the Ken Burns thing, uh, the thing that keeps coming up over and over from the first episode is how ridiculous some of the basic concepts that uh, America thrust the the might of its economic power at that time and we're talking america in the mid 20th century this is a very powerful and wealthy country who chose to uh i think drastically tarnish the post-world war ii legacy that the country enjoyed of being the good guy sure to help the people throw off the oppressor i mean that was what world war ii was all about um And I don't know if people talk much about uh, in Trump's use of the America first, that that phrase America first was used during the war or, you know, before America was in the war to sort of urge against going in to fight fascism at all. Some proto-fascist sympathizers. Uh, But the idea that you could contain communism when, in fact, Ho Chi Minh, Fidel Castro, others who ended up in communist systems, that was not their first choice. No. They reached out to America first. Uh, Ho Chi Minh helped uh, America uh, on the ground against the Japanese in World War II. Yes, indeed. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, sacrifice there from the Indo-Chinese people. There was no Vietnam at that time. Uh, And the money, uh, an interesting thing from the Ken Byrne thing is they rack up how many dollars have been spent so far when they sort of talk about, oh, well, then the next thing was blah, blah, blah. Uh, So all this money was given, $23 million were given to the French to prop up the French in Indochina. Well, we're, you know, $23 million, still a lot of money, but $23 million, 1940s dollars? Yeah. That's a lot of money. What did the French do with that money? Well, and the French could not hold Viet, uh, Indochina because, you know, they had uh, provinces, the, the, the so-called uh, 19th century Indochina province of the French extended into Laos. And, uh, you know, let's remember that the United States killed a quarter of a million Laotians. Mm. We killed half a million Cambodians. 
uh, this war expanded under Richard Nixon, uh, secretly and illegally. We were bombing Laos secretly starting in 1962 using military uh, air force bases from Udorn in Thailand, who were uh, allied with us. And throughout the Cold War, it's remarkable that the United States at a certain point had military bases, I believe, in 130 countries scattered around the globe. So... um, you talk about uh, that. You know that was the legacy of the Cold War, right. and part of our problem. All we, that money we've been throwing pissed our, away, pissed away. We've been throwing it around for 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 way too long, and I continue to question: When are we going to leave the Afghan people alone? We cannot convert them to our way of thinking any more than we could. The Vietnamese people. General Jop, who was Ho Chi Minh's sort of right hand man, the leader of the Battle of Dien Bien Phu in 1954 when the French finally surrendered and they negotiated uh, peace treaties that the United States participated in, the so called Geneva Accords, that ended up dividing Vietnam into North and South Vietnam, which created the mythology of what we were trying to protect, uh, famously said in 1965, he said, you Americans need to read some history. This is our country. We've lived here for 2,500 years. You've been here for 20. We'll outlast you. And indeed, the first casualty, the first American to die in Vietnam died about six weeks after VJ Day. OSS. And of course, that role of America in the 1950s with these military advisors and these CIA people uh, is explored quite uh, quite well by Graham Greene, for instance. Yeah, The Quiet American is an excellent book to, you know, use. It uses fiction to tell some very interesting truths about. Uh, the way the politics were unfolding and how naive America was uh, in its involvement in that it really didn't have that much high quality intelligence. Sure. Um, and this has been a, a plague throughout America's attempts to, uh, you know, ram the, the Middle East into a, uh, a sort of ideological mold. Uh, there's not enough expertise in the language. Now. And, and it's interesting, of course, I've always been fascinated by the theory uh, about Richard Nixon's obsession with the Pentagon Papers. Let's remember that McNamara actually commissioned the Pentagon Papers. He eventually realized that Vietnam, we were failing, that what we were doing wasn't working, and he wanted to figure out how we got in. <laughs> so Nixon, of course, was vice president. For eight years during the 1950s, when it's just factually correct to say that the United States began this slow, mm-hmm. gradual escalation. No, we didn't have ground troops, but we had military advisors. 35 advisors at a time kept getting yeah. sent over with equipment. And we kept violating the Geneva Accords. Um, but we would, of course, publicly accuse the Viet Cong or the Viet Minh, as uh, they were known uh, early on in the conflict, of violating the Accords. Nixon played a role in 
the escalation of Vietnam. He was so paranoid, he probably was quite concerned about what might come out regarding his role. He was on the National Security Council of Dwight D. Eisenhower. And one would think that uh, Nixon wouldn't be terribly worried about the Pentagon Papers uh, in 1970, 1971, (laughs) uh, because he was president, and you'd think the fall guy would have been Lyndon Johnson and John F. Kennedy uh, to to, uh, 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 some degree, uh, because he did escalate the military advisor situation under uh, what was going on under Eisenhower, but we didn't have ground troops there, <laughs> and that's yeah. a big thing. And when you hear that what we're doing in Afghanistan, what Donald Trump is planning, and uh, I use that word advisedly, <laughs> I'm not too sure that Donald Trump does any planning. Uh, He's a shoot-from-the-hip We're idiot. winging it. We're, we're winging it here. We're going to win something sometime, somewhere. And if he thinks he's going to get a win in Afghanistan, he's dreaming. (laughs) Uh, We have military advisors in Afghanistan right now, about 8,000. But when I'm reading that we're planning on sending 3,000 more, and in a couple of months it'll be 3,000 more, and, you know, then what? (laughs) And then for Trump— and I'm going to give him a brain damage award. There was a terrorist event in uh, London in the tubes. In the tubes, yeah, on Friday. There have been some arrests made. The British uh, Scotland Yard and whatnot have been very circumspect about releasing information. We have no information regarding terrorism and his use of this incident to, quote, resuscitate his bragging claim about the travel ban. <laughs> I mean, this is absolutely nonsensical because we don't know anything about the 18-year-old suspect. Sure, ISIS is going to make a post-attack claim uh, as they're crumbling in Raqqa, Syria, and, uh, and have already, you know, they're, they're on their last legs, I'm sure, as an entity. But for Donald Trump to use that incident and exploit it for for gain when we know very little still is remarkable. When is he going to learn from his mistakes? <laughs> because he plays this game all the time, this bragging game that's really pretty remarkable stuff. Um and and we've seen it, you know, in response to the to the hurricane um uh, stuff. Uh, I don't think there's any question that the heroic efforts of rescuers and uh, local and state governments, both in Florida and Texas, um, have been commendable. (laughs) And of course, many individuals have volunteered and risked them their bodies and limbs and what whatnot, making rescues in boats and whatnot. But I mean, we're getting a pretty vivid image of what's really going on when we realize that a lot of people still don't have electricity in Florida and that some of the keys are completely wiped out. And meanwhile, the president is continuing to behave as though he's the host of a television program. Yeah. Um, Reminiscent of uh, Krusty the Clown from The Simpsons, who once observed 
uh, observed, Oh, I said the loud part quiet and the quiet part loud. Yeah. Uh, there is no quiet part for Trump. He says all the quiet parts loud. Um, things like that. And this, uh, you know, oh, it's like he's a radio shock jock. We're going to call Kim Jong-un Rocket Man. Because that'll razzmatazz him. Yeah, how do you like that, buddy boy? I'm calling you Rocket Man. Um, this is not statecraft. Well, uh, I'm sure that Donald Trump does listen to Elton John. <laughs> well, I'm sure Elton John is like, oh, my God. <laughs> Leave my material out of this. The theme song of Donald Trump. Yeah, and uh, uh, talk about uh, no plan uh, and any idea. Oh, hey, that's a crazy idea. Let's let's run that up the flagpole and see who salutes. Uh, while meeting and greeting with some of the foreign dignitaries uh, as part of this United Nations General Assembly gathering, uh, there was footage today, uh, this afternoon on the television of Trump sitting down with Macron, uh, talking about how great the uh, Bastille Day parade was and saying, you know, uh, we should have something like that on 4th of July. Let's, let's have a military parade in Washington, D.C. on the 4th of July. Oh, that'll be great. That'll, that'll be great. just be great. Uh, <laughs> by the way, 4th of July does not signify or commemorate any battles no. at all. It's a document which was signed on that historic day. And there are parades. And there are already parades. <laughs> they don't need to be military parades, although usually there is some sort of military presence there, even if it's just local police. So, dude, you did not invent the 4th of July parade. No, no, and hopefully next year he can be the drum major in, in the, uh, you know, major, major. he's a pumpkin man. <laughs> he can be the drum major in, uh, in a 4th of July parade down... Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, 88.3. Do stay tuned. Uh, Yazoo City Calling is coming up next. And, wow, the U.N. speech tomorrow will be interesting. I don't expect a walkout, but I think a lot of people are going to be sitting on their hands. Uh, Let's see if any shoes uh, get removed. Yeah. Thanks to Andrew for engineering Yazoo City Calling, coming up next. There was blood on the saddle And blood all around And a great country music will never be the same after these boys get through with it. It's the Down Home Show, every Saturday from noon to 3, right here on WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. dinosaur over on the playground by Smith Street. It had this phone number on it, and, well, I just wanted to make sure the dinosaur made it back to its little owner. When I found the little sippy cup, I just had to give you a call. It's for a kid, you know? I know my son gets super attached to the smallest things, even a fire truck, and I'd be happy to drop it off. We do anything for kids, yet one in six children in the U.S. struggle with hunger. Help end childhood hunger in Southeast Michigan. Learn more at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council.
That's Charlie Seagar in the background doing Boogie Woogie, telling you it's time for Yazoo City Calling here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name's Jerry Mack, your host this evening.